Okay, welcome back. Welcome to another astute new energy chinwag. Um, my name is John Massey. Um, I have been involved in um, clean energy and and technologies of various sorts for 25 years, um, clean energy particularly for the last um, 15, um, looking particularly from a market economics, um, technology disruption, market entry um, side of things, I'm looking at business strategy, business planning. Um, and my partner in this podcast is Charlie Rattan. Yes, good, uh, good morning. Hello, uh, John. Uh, my own background comes from uh, project delivery, really. I was there uh, for many years. I was at Shell. I moved on to uh, a couple of other big companies, including Eon and SSE. I've been involved in offshore wind for about 15 uh, years or so as a project manager of uh, the Hunterston Offshore Turbine Test Facility. I've uh, been involved in a few of the tongue twisters of projects over the years, and I've uh, hopefully learned a lot. And we linked up uh, three or four years ago now. We've worked together. We've worked together in the United States, in uh, in the UK, we've been up to Scotland and uh, more recently Canada. And uh, I've, been, I've been struck by, um, well, firstly, how, how well the, uh, the the presentations and the training that we deliver goes, but more importantly, by the appetite uh, when people gather around at the end of the course, uh, wanting more, wanting more information, wanting perhaps some uh, some advice. And perhaps these uh, these podcasts can uh, help meet, uh, meet that demand. Yeah, so the the idea of these is is not to um, <clears throat> change the world particularly, but um, to give us give you an idea of some of the things that we we chat about, some of the things we think are important, uh, maybe trigger some ideas, and obviously um, you can always follow up with with us at, at any point afterwards. Um, today we were going to focus in a little bit, um, and we were going to talk about offshore wind onshore, um, and what we mean by that is that. Often with offshore wind, it's, it's easy to focus on all the kind of massive turbines getting bigger and bigger, further out to sea, um, the huge um, installation issues and um, undersea cabling issues and so on. Um, and it's easy to forget that actually there's a big chunk of an offshore wind project that actually is onshore. Um, and Charlie, maybe um, given that you've done some of these things, do you just want to outline briefly kind of what the, the aspects of that onshore activity is? Yeah, it's um, it's it's caught the offshore wind industry a little bit by surprise, I suppose. The early ones, uh, it's only 15, 16 uh, years uh, ago that the first ones in the UK were uh, commissioned, and they've learnt a few lessons over uh, over the years. Not as you say, people tend to forget that um, you can have all the offshore infrastructure in the world, but sooner or later you need some onshore infrastructure. So you might not have turbines spinning onshore for the offshore wind farm, but you certainly need switch gear electrical substations uh, cable routes all of that needs uh, needs addressing and it needs developing and it needs permitting and because of the nature of, of offshore wind farms you, you, it's uh, it's rather like again from onshore in the early days you would make sure you didn't just have one access route to sites you'd have two or three and that is the case with the onshore element so you might scope up two or three potential onshore infrastructure bases if you uh, if you like, on onshore for the uh, for the major offshore wind farm. So there's a bit of an art to that. We'll go into that in a yeah. bit more detail. Uh, yeah, I mean, what what we're effectively talking about here is um, it's a grid project, isn't it? Um, we're talking about <coughs> when we think about offshore wind farms. Again, we think about the turbines, the onshore part. Effectively, what we're talking about is a it's a grid um, issue. We've got to get the um, the power 
from offshore back somewhere into the the national grid into the given the size of these things into the transmission network ultimately you did right there john and uh, it's not just a case of picking up the phone and uh, saying to the grid oh i fancy connecting in we've got a proposal here and there's a, an interesting looking shallow beach with some nice sand and we fancy connecting in uh, there that's not how it works and uh, actually engagement starts with the grid at quite an early stage of the development uh, process and of course um, grid um, is, is a commercial business in its own right it's got certain drivers of its own it's got long-term plans they have things like 10-year plans and they've got other projects not just you you're not the only only person they're talking to so they, um, they'll have a chat with you, but to have the initial chat, it's not cheap. You're talking tens and hundreds of thousand pounds uh, just to get to the table with them. And, um, <laughs> and that's, when, uh, that's when it starts. And, and, and as you go down the process, you'll find that actually you tailor your projects, your timelines, your milestones uh, to what the grid wants from, uh, from you. Yeah, and I mean, the other, as with any onshore um, project, which certainly onshore wind has, has found, one of the, the big challenges is going to be uh, not, not what you want, but what the locals will, will put up with or what the local um, uh, the local politicians, the local authorities um, will, will permit. Um, so there's a whole kind of planning and permitting aspect to this um, in terms of where these cables are going to go, how they're going to impact on um, on land use um, on on sites um, and so again that's going to all feed into your um, into your planning and your your different route options I guess. Yeah you're dead right John and the one that I was involved with I was project manager for the Isle Offshore Wind Farm and you might be as I say looking at several options and everybody knows there's a major project in train so there's a lot of interest and people want you as a developer to be telling them that with the grid it's a little bit different you've got a few commercial sensitivities and you might be dealing with different local authorities uh, my my potential landing points on uh, isla ranged i think there was uh, north Ayrshire, south Ayrshire, and there was uh, possibly lanarkshire so you're dealing with very very early stage not quite back of a fag packet thinking a little bit more detail than that but you're still ruling things out. And obviously people want to know this and where it's happening, but you as a developer can't really tell them that much. So you'd be working away, beavering in the way in the background with grid of a major project. And you might not even tell your own, some, some of your own project team, you might only just keep it to selected individuals, what you're looking at. Because um, as you firm up the process, you need to involve people like uh, land agents, you need to involve people that are used to doing deals. It's not just a case of we connect here. You are expected to solve it. So you are expected to solve where you come ashore, what land is needed, what infrastructure is needed. Share it with stakeholders, some of whom they are supposed to be kind of in confidence, but rarely does that happen. And then you might also, on the more recent projects, be thinking, well, hold on, should we be thinking of of some redundancy for for extra cables and more particularly with battery arrays as the uh, as the industry increasingly looks to be uh, yeah. going forward to uh, to to an integrated risk. So you might yeah. be thinking of the and so to give an example how big the infrastructure can be and might not be off onshore turbines involved, but you might be looking at some of these buildings are 400 meters long by 100 meters uh, wide. That wouldn't be atypical. So you're talking about massive structures and you're talking about big cables and you're talking about so you're talking uh, uh, there's not that many places that have the um, have the ability to take that kind of infrastructure and not so many by the sea and you tend to look for a nice shallow beach 
you tend to look for space uh, and, and various other things. So there's not that many places that have not been found by other developers, not necessarily renewable, uh, that, that have got that kind of spec. Yeah. So, the, I mean, there's a, a few things that have been raised there. I mean, one is, one is there's, a, there's an inherent conflict in terms of the the planning development process in, in as much as you as a, as a company, as a developer, uh, want to keep your, your options open. Um, you want, you want um, ultimately, obviously, to choose what makes the most business sense. Um, but that's, that's kind of a balance between um, the discussions you're having with in terms of supply, in terms of cost, but also in terms of the the grid connection, um, and then the other thing you obviously raised is, is kind of the amount of infrastructure. And I mean, I just I just kind of jotted down while while we were talking, um, kind of what what we're talking about here because it's it's worth um, thinking about the scale of this. I mean, I there's a chart that I, you may remember I showed on a on a recent course we did, um, which was for the Rampian wind farm, um, which is is comes on shore near Worthing on the on the south coast. Um, I mean, that's connecting to a substation which is about 16 kilometres inland. It's quite a wiggly route, so there's there's maybe 20 or 30 kilometres of of on shore um grid cabling so we're not talking about a few a few kilometers here and there it's a pretty big thing um so you've got you've got quite a big cabling um aspect with a with a corridor obviously um for the cables um so you've got you've got to come onto the beach you'll have a you've got some kind of junction box on the beach um you've got the cables themselves then depending whether you're talking about dc or ac if you've got AC cables certainly. Then you may have relay stations if we're talking about a long, um, a long length of, of line, uh, and then somewhere you've got the substation um, that you've got to, um, you've either got to build, connect into, um, maybe share with some other existing substation. So the, this, as you say, there's there's some reasonably chunky amounts of infrastructure that that have to go in and have to connect together and have to be permitted and have to be have to be planned accordingly uh, where, i mean where would you say the most the most challenge lies in all those is it from well first to come back to rampion which is of interest because since we were out in canada i did actually link up with the, uh, the stakeholder manager for that project and rampion is actually uh, as part of a round four leasing, I've been th thought of as an extension, and it's causing a few headaches. And it's for the people aspect that you mentioned earlier. It's all very well to come out with a with a 16 mile long cable route and so forth, but actually people live along that cable route. And what he found is that uh, although there weren't that many properties uh, where the big infrastructure was being built, um, there were some very very um, expensive properties, and they were outraged at the truck movements, at the noise from the construction. When these major projects go, there tend to be a lot of vehicles reversing and moving and blipping and all kinds of activity. Yeah, that, that's a good point. It's often not not what it looks like when it's finished. It's it's yeah. all the, that, yeah, that, yeah. But during the construction it phase, it and what you often happen is for major projects, you might want to go for an accelerated, uh, certainly window during the summer when the weather the days are long. Uh, and of course, the, the residents want to enjoy the amenity of their own homes. And uh, he was telling me of some of the issues that became so fraught from a relatively small part of the project, a few, a few homes near the uh, the construction base. But obviously, that then knocks on when they say, "Actually, we're looking at uh, extending extending the uh, thing. Is, is is the existing substation going to need extending? Does it need more construction? Does it is it going to go through all of that process again when there's already a degree of uh, of uh, of antagonism, so that just struck me as uh, as we're on the ramp, and that that is the reality of uh, of, of projects. If you'd like to just refresh 
the question that you just posed, uh, John, because uh, I just wanted uh, wanted to raise that on, on, on Rampy, and that, that's the reality on the ground. That it's not. Yes, the same I, as, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I guess just to add to that, I mean, another option is um, to ease that is to is to follow existing routes like roadsides and so yeah. on. Um, yeah, and, and that's yeah. what usually happens. Uh, there's yeah. a few good advantages of, of working along verge sides. They tend to be owned by local authorities, which means there's a single point of contact and a single interface rather than going through, for example, 16 miles of hundreds of different landowners all wanting an agreement, all wanting an option fee, uh, and that becomes a mini project in its own uh, right, as was the yeah. case of Humber uh, uh, Race. It's all very well to have these maps online, but in reality... Yeah. And, and again, just I'll, I'll come back to the question, but just while we're on the, the cabling, I mean, we're talking about underground cables here. Right? I don't. I, yeah. Have you come across yeah. any that use over overhead? Yes, cables? there are some. There's some, and sometimes there's good good arguments. And I think the one at Blythe goes over the top of the uh, the beach. In the early days of um, offshore wind, uh, there's some lessons learned about trenching and, and, and moling the cables that have since come into place. And I think one and a half meters is considered to be uh, pretty normal these days, certainly offshore. But in the early days, that yeah, yeah. wasn't always the case. And it depends on the condition. As I mentioned, we like to come up on nice shallow beaches. You can't always do that. And so it depends on the ground condition. So the ones at Blythe actually come across uh, out, they're outside. The, the, the cables, the offshore cables are out, they're open. And um, there was a big discussion from a health and safety point of view. Well, shouldn't, shouldn't we be letting the public know that these are live electric export cables coming from an offshore wind farm? Shouldn't they be marked up and all the rest of it? But after the discussion, they actually said, "Well, actually, that, that might invite even more problems. Mm. Let's just leave them. <laughs> Let's just leave them. Leave them low key. Just leave them. No one notices. And see what happens. So it's not. It's not. It's not hundred percent. This. It's uh, every site is tailored. Yeah. Uh, to no, I mean, I, I, I meant more kind of on the on the long distance stuff. But people yeah. aren't building it, pilots. It, 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 oh, They're not building yeah, pilots and overhead cables. It's. Yeah, I, th I think it actually might be worth adding uh, some future of the grid. To our discussion list, John, because there are certainly talks about whether the, uh, the the national grid should actually be moved offshore effectively. There's so mm. many major projects going along, and they're going to be connected perhaps between each other, and that they could route in on the key points in the UK. We're certainly not there yet, but there's, only, there's so, so, so many. So obviously pylons are already uh, excluded for Isla. We uh, the immediate thing that we did on that first meeting with Grid is sit down and you rule out. That's how you start on major projects. You rule out. Yeah. And one of the areas that rule out is certainly national parks. And the reason is because they won't allow pylons. So obviously SSE in Scotland have built the Bewley Denny line, quite a major infrastructure project. And of course, undergrounding sounds great, but I think it costs a lot, lot more, double, treble the cost. And so you wouldn't necessarily go down the route as your first option. Certainly there's places where overground uh, uh, pylons are, are acceptable. And you might also want to be thinking in terms of planning games. Yeah, we'll put those pylons there, but we'll decommission these 10 miles down the road as a bit of a, a sweetener, if you like, to the wider uh, picture. But not everybody wants uh, miles and miles of pylons. And, and I suppose this is why the grid does think strategically and has 10-year plans, mm. and that is fluid. So um, yeah. Watch, yeah. watch that space, space with uh, pylons, and especially where I would have thought things like energy storage and distribution now, another... Uh, a blog might be on how batteries and how hydrogen might obviate the need for some of these long-distance onshore uh, pylon highways. Um, so that, that's another discussion. But yes, it's fluid. And, and, and also, you don't know at the start of a project whether you're going AC or DC. They've got very different parameters, very different sizes. So uh, what, what might be a suitable, uh, the dimensions I mentioned earlier for an AC kit, the DC mm -hmm. might be smaller, but it might be different types of kits. So you've got these yeah. endless 
variants. And so what exactly are you showing people? Well, here's AC version that might happen in a place that might be the location. Here's a yeah. DC. So six or eight separate scenarios all need working up in sufficient depth to please stakeholders. Uh, yet you know at the end of it, ultimately, only one is going to be... Uh, yeah, and, and at some point, at some point, you've got to present one <laughs> to yeah, the people exactly. that are making the decisions. Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. but uh, people along the route, and it doesn't take much to scare people that, they, yeah. they're, they're, oh, this, this is going to happen and it's going to mean this, and then there's sometimes an activist group, and then, they, like you say, they'll show pictures of hundreds of miles of pylons which don't delight to... Uh, uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of people, and, and and all of that is when it's it's just a, it's just a scenario that you're doing in the back background, and uh, it's probably going to come to nothing. Uh, but so there's an art and when to do that work and how yeah. much to do it each stage. So, so that goes back to the 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 question, um, which was so if we look at things like if we split down the elements, we've got kind of the beach landing, we've got the the onshore um, export cables, and then we've got the substation ultimately. In terms of planning and constraints um which of those tend to be the biggest issue is it um is yeah, it using a place on the for... beach that you're allowed to avoid yeah, seal yeah. and so on or is it well, the... you're dead right you're, de you're dead right because um, i suppose if you were, if you were to be looking at the fantasy uh, offshore wind site i suppose what you would like is a nice shallow sandy beach that comes a nice sustained graduation on the top of it some nice empty fields and uh, that, that would be a couple of miles away from where the national grid is already, because it might already be there. So that'd be the fantasy. In reality, obviously, those sandy beaches, you, you don't have exclusivity, and they tend to be the ones favoured uh, for seals, uh, for seal holes. Uh, and so the stakeholders will certainly let you know uh, the sensitivities. Now, there's different gradings of ecological sensitivity, and the, 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 the SPAs are considered to be uh, very, very protected, just about impossible to uh, to develop on those but there are further gradients going down the hierarchy you'd talk to the stakeholders and you'd see what exactly the concerns are and then they might you might come to an agreement and you might put exclusion zones we'll we'll have our cable here and we'll construct in this timeline and we'll avoid the seal breed breeding season and we'll avoid this and we'll avoid other, other ecological issues and uh, as long as we follow that stakeholders are usually uh, uh, pretty reasonable depending on who they are so yes the, the nice sandy beach you might find that that same beach is obviously being designated by other people in the end energy industry because of the same constraints you might find that uh, the offshore gas transmission might have come to a similar conclusion that's what they like or or existing existing nuclear plants might be there uh, and they might not relish the thought of additional cabling going in near their existing infrastructure what are the risks to them are you going to how are you going to cross it where are you going to come in yeah, and, 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 and obviously that, that landing point then obviously has kind of knock-on impacts in terms of the the substation sighting, yeah. the the yeah. cable route, and so on. So it's it kind of all all yeah. fits together. And, yeah. and bizarrely, there's one other bizarre quirk that I've discovered over the years. Just every one of the landing parts that, that I've come across all seems to have a golf course uh, over <laughs> the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> prize, uh, a prize golf That's course. That's because everywhere has a golf course. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and I don't know where the golf heads towards are the locations that we like. So, uh, I mean, obviously, golf courses uh, you can make agreements with. Um, we, we had one at uh, Turnbury, I think, for... Uh, but for one of them, they were, we had stuff on uh, for Sea Green as, as well. And, and as long as you time it away from major tournaments and choose away from the prize elements of the golf course, uh, you, you can uh, make a, an agreement. And uh, sometimes there's a very healthy injection of funds mm -hmm. into the uh, golf club, which uh, which helps. So, so you can make it a win-win if you yeah. if you if you if you if you, if you, if you, if you kind of early. 
It's an interesting issue. It, I mean, because a thought that's just randomly popped into my head, because I know we've talked a little bit about um, in future, obviously, things like floating wind turbines yeah. for yeah. areas where you've not got kind of nice, yeah. shallow offshore water. Yeah. Um, obviously, one of, the, one of the challenges of places where you've not got nice, shallow offshore water is you also don't tend to have nice, shallow beaches. <laughs> um, the, the, right. the geology and the, the geomorphology, if you like, yeah. of those yeah. areas is that you're going to have very challenging um, yeah. yes. conditions uh, and, and in that, terms of getting that, from offshore onto onto the onshore part. And uh, that has happened up at Kincardine, where uh, because it was floating and because it was deep water, uh, it came out and it didn't come out of the shallow. And of course, it led a few engineering uh, challenges as uh, as a result. There'll be a few lessons learned on, on on that. I wonder whether coming back, that might be another argument for this. People are starting to move to should the national grid move offshore on these mega projects. And I know that the Crown in its latest leading rounds is increasingly engaging grid early. And you might find um, this, this is an idea that we didn't like as a project developer, but isn't a bad one in itself. And that is offshore hubs. And mm. rather than one wind, wind farm connected up on one beach and one on the next beach and everybody duplicating it, say, so well, actually, you connect up to this hub and then the hub will find the transmission route forward and the optimal route. And five or six offshore wind farms might be connected to one and you're pretty close to having an offshore uh, uh, grid if you do that a few times so that has been mooted I came yeah across that, it. i mean that's something that i mean in, in germany they've started to do a bit of that they've started yeah. to do some of these these hubs and then they've got in some cases some quite long offshore export cables that and the reason they're long is sometimes they don't come on at the nearest landfall they're, yeah. they're choosing where it makes sense from a grid point of view um yeah. i mean the challenge the challenge, obviously, there is you. Uh, it's, you need someone centrally that's going to kind yeah. of right say this is the way we're doing it, like yeah. it or bump it. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> rather, uh, if it's left to big, kind of business uh, interest, you have to make coordinate if you like. different a people's schedules and different people's kind of profit um, motives um, yeah. together. Yeah, and you might be thinking, uh, uh, I don't want it just for the fit for person grid now, but I want to future proof it and what we anticipate it being in. Uh, in the next 15, 20 years, and perhaps that's a, a, an argument for zoning, which is occurring with the uh, with the crown. It's not the developer just picks and chooses a site. They actually allocated zones, and the zones are perhaps of sufficient heft to enable a, a, a hub uh, to come along, and then there'll perhaps be somebody directing it. From a project level, it's a nightmare because uh, grid relates to underwriting. And the last thing you want to have is to be waiting on a, a connection that's out with of your control and the you know, yeah, exactly. fortune. Yeah. And then somebody's telling you where your connection is. And it used to be the early days of onshore winds, come back to onshore, that you'd get a connection, but the connection in 20 or set from a 27 projects might be 20 years down the line. Nobody's going to invest in a project on a on, on that length of uh, of connection. So they've, they've come up with solutions onshore. And I wonder whether certainly with the same offshore solutions uh, on a much, much bigger scale will integrate with the future of the grid. So we'll watch that space with yeah. interest. Certainly developers are. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just looking as we as we're speaking again at German German examples. There's also some good examples of the lengths of cable. There's one here, uh, Dolwyn Three, uh, which is one where they've got a kind of hub and an offshore substation. Uh, that's got 83 kilometres of undersea cable, but then it's got another 80 kilometres of onshore underground cable to get to the the substations. Yeah. And it yeah. just makes right. the point that I, the the onshore bit is a significant chunk of the, the yeah. whole grid. Yeah, and that was a case for Isla as well that was 126 miles of, uh, of cable and it was uh, quite hard because that's on, mm. on a point-to-point -point basis actually because the seabed is three-dimensional which people often forget and they've got tr things like trenches and it's got uh, blocks and things that you need to choose uh, how to get around 
you're actually going to use a lot, lot more uh, cable uh, than uh, than that. And you've also mm. got to think how you cross other cables. But uh, then on, on top of that, there'll be the onshore elements as, as well. So the cabling is uh, is rightly regarded as one of the uh, hot potato elements of, of, of offshore uh, wind. I suppose yeah. thinking strategically now, because obviously there's only a limited number of, of beaches and there are only a limited number of traditional sites, that, um, that, that this problem is being resolved. I think that one of, one of the problems will be now for the offshore ones that you alluded to just now, they like deeper water. And if it's deeper water, like you say, it's not going to come across on a nice smooth trajectory. Mm. So you've got other issues. So how do you do that? So yeah. that's, uh, the cabling for offshore is one really to watch. Uh, offshore, they're looking at some of the semi-submersible cabling, dynamic cabling, uh, but then there's the onshore. Is it, how, yeah. how are they going yeah. to do that? But certainly from an onshore aspect, the site the number of sites is going to be limited. And as you say, I, I think that in the long run, the solution has to be that you, you share some of these onshore um, landfalls and onshore cabling routes. But yeah, the challenge then is from a someone has to has to coordinate that, someone has to drive that, and someone has to make sure that the kind of timings align in terms of people's investment strategies, investment plans, and, and, and finance right. grounds and so on. From a developer's point of view, it's always a bit of a one-way street. And yeah. for those of us that have bought mortgages in the past, it's a bit recognisable. You think you look at the way that it's skewed and uh, the grid can hit you with all kinds of penalties uh, if you don't meet your project timeline. But there's not much if they don't meet theirs, which yeah. doesn't go down well with, uh, with the investment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, there's not much recourse. They say, well, look, guys, we're all ready. We've got all kinds of spent billions of pounds on this. We've hired all the vessels. We're ready to plug in. Uh, and then if there's a delay, that goes down like the proverbial... Uh, lead balloon that's the reality of, of major projects so you try and peck away uh, reducing that risk and then obviously the, it doesn't, the more you engage and the more you track the progress of the other party uh, is it gives the project major certainty because you can tweak your own timeline uh, to an yeah. extent uh, uh, accordingly uh, bear in mind it might have four or five major projects going simultaneously in some instances so it's yeah. a, another of complexity yeah, having having um, said it's all about grid, one other thing has occurred to me in terms of the onshore side, which might be worth mentioning um, before we close, which is um, is the 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 port facilities and the O and M facilities. Yeah. Um, so there are there are, that is another aspect where you need um, you need a site, um, you need to a site in a in a sensible position, particularly if you're running multiple projects. Um, so, you again, there's going to be some planning, some permitting, some choices to be made around where you're going to when you're going to put these things. Um, how how sizable are these these getting now? The O and M. Well, um, I was at the rather unglamorous location of Grimsby Fish Docks uh, last uh, last week, uh, John, and that, that <laughs> and that's. Uh, that's built on an epic scale. It goes at least going for miles. It's a very, very interesting place, actually. You need it's not something you just roll up. There's a bit of security to uh, to mm. get through, but it's actually a transformational uh, scale. Uh, Grimsby used to be the biggest fishing port in the in the world, and it's transformed itself in, in almost no time to the biggest ops and maintenance base in the world. And you've got Orsted there, I saw Res, I saw Eon, and others. And what is it? Is this word cluster? So all the big companies, global companies are setting up shops. I saw facilities for these SOVs, which are the big uh, big mothership mega vessels. And of course, you bring jobs. And the mayor of Grimsby stood up and said, this is transformational. It's the biggest transformation for Grimsby in history. So that is the scale of it. And now, you mentioned the scale of the developments, but that's also an opportunity. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's... Really fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's but, an interesting... I mean, it, it's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Because um, of the two onshore aspects, the 
the the O and M sites. Um, that that as you say, that's an opportunity. It's job creation, supply chain, and so on. Whereas the grid connection, so you might get locals that that like the O and M site but aren't so keen on having yeah. the the grid connection. It's one of those yeah. dilemmas that we have yeah, in and, and I would say it's quite rare to have the O and M facility the same as the construction facility. The spec is very different. So, yeah. um but the, the construction you need big swathes of wharves and uh, uh, quayside and, 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 and lay down areas and, and, and all of that. And certainly Grimsby has that uh, in abundance, and the Grimsby does seem to have both the O and M and, and some O and M facilities. But usually, for O and M, you want to get the, the closest to the site. So that just reduces the steaming uh, uh, time for your CTV uh, uh, vessels. You need to get this time short for those that are going to. The bulk of the project is going to be operations. It's uh, you know these are 25, 50 yeah. year, 60 year schemes. So you need to get as close as you can, and that's where you traditionally site your own M. So you might look at a nearby helicopter base. You might want to upgrade it. You might look to some 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 facility that's nearby, much smaller than your construction, which might even be from other another country. Some of your construction stuff might come from Holland or Germany. It depends on the uh, 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 on the project. So they're not one and the same, but because of the jobs highly skilled highly technical engineering long term there's a bit of a, um, a beauty parade of, uh, of local authorities of ports yeah putting themselves coming to developers so you don't have any problem as a developer uh, so, so you have no problems developing in fact you'll find that most of the most of the people out there will let you know and when it comes to the consenting side obviously if you've got a few key people in your local authority prepared to speak up on your behalf and say well actually we're dead for this because it means that our fishing industry transforms to a, a construction or O&M long term uh, you will have a much much better consenting ride and that is now part of the environmental assessment it's under the uh, there is a, there's a few project um, kind of how, how you describe your project project description and uh, increasingly the human element is um, is, is put into uh, an es and it needs to be stamped so you the, the fact that you've done your engagement you've talked to people it isn't just for you say ah oh, this is what we think is fine you have to meet certain rigorous standards document it show it prove it and, uh, and then you'll get the uh, the stamp. So in some ways, the rigor uh, helps. And it's, it's it's we were in in, in Hull, and uh, I was in Grimsby last week, and you can see it happening now. Uh, yeah. that, 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 that it's, not, it's not just theoretical from an ES; it's transmitting itself to uh, to, to major infrastructure yeah. and jobs yeah. going in on, on, on the east coast of England. Yeah, and yeah, as I say, it's an interesting contrast in terms of the the onshore elements you've got with an offshore project. There's some elements which people will be all in favour of, and then there'll be other elements which <laughs> you equally need to get the project um, up and running, which which people will be be against. That's kind of just one of the dilemmas, I guess, in terms of the whole project development planning strategy um, side of things. One uh, one strange quirk about wind is that we are going into areas that were traditionally not not designated for industrial production. They, they mean, mm. talking agricultural areas and farms. They're not used to, and, and to some extent, that's that's been had a, a knock on for the onshore. I mean, the onshore turbines in England have just about finished because of uh, of the opposition, uh, you know, the perceived opposition by certain quarters, very vociferous. To some extent, a minority, but on, onshore wind in England isn't being developed. It is in Scotland. Uh, they go with community funds, they go with local jobs, they'll have meet the buyer events, they'll have local production targets, local content targets. That is going from onshore into offshore and is coming back into onshore. So these things are circular. Mm. So the bigger picture is that onshore wind taught offshore wind and offshore wind is now teaching onshore wind. And that's perhaps another another blog topic. Mm. And, and that's yeah. a, a separate strand of this discussion, how offshore wind is informing the onshore environment, certainly in, in, in Scotland. 
so local, uh, so early engagement, meaningful engagement. And bear in mind, you might have five or six scenarios. We've, all we've talked about today is really grid, but in, in the reality of your project, you've got uh, a best case for birds, a best case for a gener generation, a best case for landscape and visual, a best case for something else. So you've got endless scenarios that you're yeah, trying yeah. to run and pick uh, and then put forward in a meaningful manner to, to, to stakeholders in a timely manner. And you usually tend up with some kind of funnel. And so you, just like when you look for landfall, you'll have three or four locations and then you'll pick out a favourite. And it's the same for other aspects of the project. So you gradually funnel, funnel. And then the ones that survive the editing process are worked up in a bit more detail and you, con you concentrate your resources as a project team on, on the most viable, uh, most viable project outcomes. Yeah. OK. Um, well, we've hopefully given people at least the idea that um, an offshore wind project is not just about the offshore. The onshore bit is equally important. So we can probably wrap up there as usual. Um, we'd welcome any any comments or any any additional um, information that, that people have and when we'd welcome people contacting us um, we're at www.astutenewenergy.com and we're both available on LinkedIn as well yes thank you thanks uh, thanks for listening yeah thanks <laughs>